Yeah, good to see you. Um, we're continuing our Amazed by Jesus series from Luke's Gospel. And uh, this is the second to last installments. So, um, in fact, next week, just by the way, we've got a guest speaker coming here, um, Andy Johnston. He's um, another pastor in the uh, Catalyst Network of Churches that we're part of. Andy um, helps us a lot behind the scenes and does a lot of support for us as uh, elders behind the scenes. Uh, great speaker from a big church in Southampton. Uh, so do come along and hear him next Sunday. But um, back to what we're doing this Sunday. But, um, we're going to be thinking particularly about Jesus' death and what, and what was so amazing about Jesus' death and the way Jesus died. I mean, if you're, if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're, you're new to church or you're exploring the Christian faith, if you know anything about Jesus, you'll know that he died. That's what Christians often talk about. He died on the cross. He died a painful death. And Jesus claimed and Christians believe that through his death, we can connect with God. We can know God personally. We can come back to God. And uh, as I say, we want to look at several things that are amazing about the way Jesus died. There's, um, there's someone mentioned in the Gospels. I don't know if you come across this person. There's a Roman centurion who's watching the events when Jesus died. And uh, in, in Mark's Gospel, it says this. And when the centurion... This is one of the Roman soldiers who uh, was involved in the execution of Jesus. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And we're going to look at three amazing things about how Jesus died. Um, and uh, hopefully be amazed and thrilled and you know, maybe for the first time or maybe just reminded again just how incredible Jesus is. Uh, just before we look at the Bible, let me pray. Um, Father God, we just pray. May we be, may, may we have our eyes opened to Jesus again this morning. Thank you for wonderful time in worship just now, lifting up the name of Jesus. Open our eyes to, to more of who he is and what he's done for us this morning, especially as we look at his death on the cross. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, it's a sort of longish bit from the, uh, the Bible that we've, we, we've got this morning. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read it in bits, little sort of bits of it as we go through. But um, the first thing we're going to look at is Jesus' willingness to die. I just think it's amazing. When, I'm just amazed by this as I've been looking at it this week. Just amazed by the willingness of Jesus to die, to not try and get out of it because of what he knew it would achieve. For us, the Bible talks about, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. didn't enjoy the cross, he endured the cross. And uh, before Jesus died on the cross, you might know that he was arrested and he went through uh, several trials in front of authorities at the time. Trials that were not like trials nowadays. I did jury service uh, earlier this year. Uh, very interesting but in some sense gave, you, gave me a kind of reassurance about the justice system in this country. They, they go through things very carefully and look at all the evidence and uh, try and be fair with people, innocent until proven guilty. Well, it wasn't like this for Jesus, unfortunately. Uh, it was, uh, it, 
it wasn't fair at all what Jesus went through. Jesus was at a massive disadvantage. The Jewish authorities who were kind of behind getting him arrested and getting him tried and wanting to get him executed, they decided already that, that they want him to die. And it's rigged. It's rigged against him. So let me read from Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 66. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that's kind of Jewish, well, sort of all the Jewish leaders, met together and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Jesus is being accused of being the Messiah. I guess the way the trial starts is Jesus is sort of on trial for things to do with the Jewish faith. He's being accused of being the Messiah, the Messiah, the rescuer that God had promised to send, that the Jewish people were waiting for. The thing, the thing was, he was. He was the Messiah through his life, through what he did, through, through uh, what he said. He gave many, many proofs that he was the Messiah. He had come from God. He had come to rescue. He was the king. His miracles, his teaching, even things that he didn't have any control over, things like where he was born. They, they, they fitted in with the predictions that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before about what the Messiah would be like and what he would do. But Jesus didn't fit with the, the expectations they had about the kind of Messiah that was going to come. And so these Jewish authorities, um, they, didn't, they didn't think it was him. And Jesus challenged them and he, he pointed out what they were doing wrong in leading the nation. And they didn't like it. And they thought, we've got to get rid of this guy. And so the trial is rigged against Jesus. Imagine I was on trial for being Alistair Pickering. And, uh, you know, the court have already decided that I'm not. You know, I've given all the, I've, I've, I've told them as much as I can, you know, about who I am and I'm from Hull and things like that. Um, uh, and uh, it, it's, uh, I like jazz. Um, no, they still won't have it. Well, if it was me, it was like that for Jesus. They just weren't having it. Well, if it was me, I would think, I've just got to do anything I can. I've just got to give it one last shot to prove it's me. It's me. But when you look at Jesus, he hardly says anything. He hardly says anything. It's like it says in Isaiah 53, predicted about 700 years before, like a sheep before the shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He didn't literally not open his mouth, but he, he, you know, at this point, yeah, he did say a few things, but he hardly said anything. He, he actually says, he says, if I tell you, you won't believe me. He's not, he's, not, he's not really going for it, trying to prove that he's, he, he's, he, you know, he's you know, who he is. and he's, just not, he's not trying to get out of where this is all going. In fact, he even says something which doesn't help him at all. 
He says that he'll be seated at God's right hand. And he's referring to his resurrection and ascension into heaven. It's a kind of reference to, to Psalm 110 about him ruling and judging as God. He's on trial and yet effectively he's saying, and they would have understood this, I'll be the judge of you. And it was true. And it's all the material that they, they need to say, right, that's it. We're going to go on to the next stage to get, make it official and get the Romans to execute him. Why wasn't he trying to get out of it? Why was, why was he willing to go along with all of this? Well, the next stage is he's, he's questioned by Pilate, the, the Roman governor. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replies. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. You can see what they're trying to do here. They're trying to say that Jesus is an enemy of the state. That he's setting himself up as a king against Caesar, the the Roman emperor. But it, it wasn't true. It wasn't true. Jesus had taught that people should pay their taxes. Jesus had taught that they should pay proper respect to the human rulers, including Caesar. And later in the third kind of trial, he's sent to Herod, a regional ruler. And and then actually Jesus says nothing at all when he's questioned. Herod's even hoping that he might do a miracle. Well, I mean, he could have just done a miracle, couldn't he? And maybe that would have swung it for him. No, he doesn't do anything, doesn't say anything. Why wasn't he trying to get out of it? Why was he willing to go along with it all? You can read earlier in Luke chapter 22, you've got Jesus sweating blood as he prays in the run-up to his, well, just before his arrest in the run-up to the cross. He's full of anguish about what's coming up. He asks God the Father if there might be another way another way to remove the barrier between us and God other than through Jesus' death. And yet he says to God the Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing to go with this. I'm willing to go with the plan. It's difficult as it's going to be. Jesus went through a rigged trial for you and for me. He didn't defend himself He stood there while he was falsely accused. Matthew and Mark particularly tell us there were false witnesses put up against Jesus. Later we read that he was ridiculed, he was mocked. People wanted to get rid of him. Just by the way, if you've ever felt like things are unfair, people are against you. Jesus knows what that's like. He stands with you, he knows what it feels like. Later on, when people are mocking Jesus on the cross, by the way, that was an important part of the time of what the cross was about. We we often think about the the excruciating pain, long drawn out pain of of the cross. But also it was incredibly humiliating and that was part of the design of this whole torture really. You were publicly humiliated. People gathered to have a go at you. Because it was meant for the lowest of criminals. It was meant for enemies of the state. It was meant, you were sort of encouraged 
to have a go at these people and people are having a go at Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 35. Chapter 23, verse 35. People stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. But that was the point. If he was going to save others, he couldn't save himself. He couldn't. I mean, he could have. He was capable of saving himself. But if he'd saved himself, he wouldn't have been able to save us. He couldn't speak up for himself. He couldn't try and get out of it. He couldn't do a miracle to prove beyond doubt of who he was. He couldn't do a kind of Marvel superhero thing and zap everyone. Well, he could have done. But he went through it. He didn't save himself because he wanted to save us. He wanted to open up the way for us to come back to God. He wanted to deal with our sins that stand between us and God to save us. And we thank Jesus. We praise Jesus for this amazing, humbling willingness of him going to the cross for you and for me. Well, the second thing that amazes me about the way Jesus died is his substitution. His substitution, just like sport, in sport where you've got uh, one player swapping places with another one as a substitute, perhaps they've injured or something, um, in the run-up to Jesus' death, he swaps places with someone, and it really happened, but it's also a picture of what he, he does for any of us who put our trust in Jesus. So, uh, verse 13, this is how Jesus' trial is summed up by Pilate. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and he said to them, you brought this man uh, brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and I have found no basis for the charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I'll have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insisted, insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demands. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was innocent. He was innocent of this charge of causing a rebellion. He was innocent of anything that at the time would have been said to deserve the death penalty. And that's what Pilate's saying. In fact, the gospel presents Jesus to us as one who was totally innocent of any wrongdoing. He was perfect. He was the perfect, sinless son of God. And, and if, you're, if you're someone who's sort of a bit skeptical about Jesus and whether that's really possible, I, 
I suppose if you, if, you, if you accept for a moment that Jesus really was the Son of God, then I guess it's perhaps not beyond belief to think that the Son of God might well be pure and perfect and able to not do anything wrong. And that was what Jesus was like. On the other hand, you've got this guy Barabbas. Barabbas was guilty. He was on death row. He was waiting for his execution. Luke tells us that he was a murderer. He was guilty of insurrection, some kind of rebellion or riots. I guess for us today, it'd be like having a, it's like a terrorist murderer. That, that's, who he, that's who this guy was. And the, the penalty in that country, in that culture at that time, was this death by crucifixion. Having your, your hands and your feet nailed to a wooden cross and, and hung up in public left to die. But there was this custom at the time, at the time of the Feast of the Passover, and other Gospels tell us a bit more about this. Um, It was like they went to the public vote on Strictly and said, who do you want to save? Who do you want to save? Uh, It's slightly different on Strictly, isn't it, the way way it works? But anyway, this is like the public vote, saving uh, one of these people. Well, surely it's Jesus. He's the obvious choice, isn't he? He's the innocent one. He's the one who should be released. But the Jewish leaders, they're so keen to have Jesus executed that they persuade the crowd to ask for Barabbas and for Jesus to be crucified. And, and, and that's what happened. It was totally the wrong way around. They, they, it was the wrong way around. It kind of, some kind of swap had gone on. and They swapped places. What an injustice. The guilty goes free. The innocent is condemned. Now, we're we're very used to it. I guess if we hear in the news about um, a criminal who gets a much lighter sentence than than people think they deserve, or someone gets released from prison too early, or the wrong person, perhaps worst of all, the wrong person gets sent to prison. Maybe this is only discovered many, many years later. We think this is such an injustice. This isn't right. People are campaigning against it, campaigning against the, the, someone who's in prison who shouldn't be. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, at a human level, there was an outrageous miscarriage of justice going on. They got the wrong man. But on a spiritual level, there was a beautiful substitution taking place for us. And I don't know what Barabbas thought, perhaps nothing, perhaps he just did a runner and, and got away from the, everything at the time until they changed their minds. But imagine Barabbas released from jail, seeing Jesus dying on the cross. Barabbas could have looked at him and thought, that should have been me. That should have been me. Jesus is dying for me. But in an even more amazing way, and in a spiritual sense, on the cross, Jesus died for everyone who would trust in him to put them right with God. He he swapped places with us. He suffered for our sin, our guilt, our shame, all the wrong things that we've done that uh, would cut us off from a relationship with God. So we can be free, free like Barabbas walking out of prison, free to have that close connection with God, that friendship, that relationship with God that we're always meant to have. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 puts it like this. For Christ also suffered once 
for sins. The righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, to bring you to God. We've been running the Alpha course recently. It's been great to uh, watch the, the, the Alpha videos, and, uh, but also just see God working in the people who are on the course But um, in one of the videos, Nicky Gumbel uses this illustration of that swap, that substitution that took place on the cross. And uh, it's a good one to use if you ever get the chance to explain this in a simple way to to someone. And uh, it kind of goes like this, that uh, this, let this hand represents you and me. And uh, this book is all the wrong things that we've done, all the bad stuff we've done that separates us from God's. It cuts us off from a relationship with God. And let this hand represent Jesus, pure and perfect, nothing between him and God the Father. Well, on the cross, a swap took place, and Jesus took on himself all our sin, our shame, our guilt, all the things that cut us off from God. And he was cut off from God for a time. That's why he calls out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you see where this leaves us. It leaves us free. We've trusted in Jesus to have nothing between us and God and to have a, a, to have a relationship with God that we were made for. Completely forgiven, completely free, completely innocent. We're, Jesus, God sees us just as Jesus, innocent, righteous before him. Jesus has done something amazing. Something amazing for us on the cross that we could never do for ourselves. He took our place. He bore our shame and our guilt. And to bring us back to God, as that verse said. If you've not given your life to Jesus, you've not asked Jesus to put you right with God, Jesus is saying to you this morning, I love you. I did that for you. Won't you step into the benefits of what I did for you? Come back to God through trusting in me. As Christians, we need to not lose our amazement at what Jesus has done for us. We want to be forever thankful. I guess if you're not a Christian, why, why do we, you might be wondering, why do we keep singing these songs about Jesus dying for us on the cross every, every week? It's not Easter, surely. No, it's at the heart of our faith. And it's something for which we're forever grateful for. There's, we can never think about it and thank Jesus enough for what he's done for us. And we, res- we respond with Jesus' help to live lives that honor him in the light of what he's done for us. He did it for the joy of reconnecting us with himself. And it brings us joy, what he's done for us. We never, we never want to lose sight of this amazing thing that he did for us. Well, the last thing I want to, to show you from, what, from Jesus dying is his mercy, his amazing mercy. Jesus, even in the midst of cruel torture, the agony of the cross, Jesus shows mercy and grace to people who don't deserve it. So, uh, chapter 23, reading from verse 32. Two other men... Both criminals were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus had gone through an incredible amount by this stage. He'd not only had this uh, arrest and trial that we've been thinking about, he was, he was spat on, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was punched and slapped. He was flogged with a whip that would have done incredible damage to his body. And Jesus was in such a weakened state when the people who had been crucified, they would normally carry their cross to the execution site. He only got part way. And and, and they they had to draft in someone else to carry his cross. Perhaps the worry was that perhaps it was kindness, but actually it has been said maybe it was actually thinking, we don't want this guy dying on the road. We might get into trouble. Or maybe we we want him to experience the full horror of, of, of crucifixion. We want him to get all the way there and experience the whole thing. Jesus was just, he he completely had enough. He was completely finished. And yet we read that nailed to the cross, he prays for those who are doing all of this to him. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They think they're getting rid of a, a trouble cause or a subversive influence. But they are, as Peter later on says in Acts, they're disowning the holy and righteous one. They're killing the author of life. What a crime. What a crime. Yes, Christians were very used to the idea that God used it for good. It was part of God's plan. But it was wrong. It was very, very wrong what they were doing. It was terrible. But amazingly, in his beaten up, weakened state, Jesus hung up to die. He prays for their forgiveness. Jesus, he taught that we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's what he's doing here. He's doing just that. He's putting it into practice. It's not a prayer. I don't think it's a prayer that God would just forgive them without them acknowledging it. Um, But it's really a prayer. And this fits with what we understand of the gospel. It's a prayer, really, that they would turn to God. And be forgiven. The wonderful thing is actually we look forward into the book of Acts. And and we find that those who were in some way responsible for his death. Are turning, some of them at least, are turning to Jesus. And being forgiven. And being saved. It did happen. Jesus' prayer was answered. Jesus is, he's our saviour. He's first of all our saviour. But he's also our example. And, and, and Jesus here, he's showing us what it looks like, an extreme example of what it looks like to love and pray for your enemies, those who've hurt you, even when you've got nothing left to give. And, and if you're amazed by the, the mercy of Jesus, maybe, maybe Jesus is calling you. Maybe he's bringing someone to mind that you need to reach out to that you need to show mercy to, that you need to pray for, that you need to forgive. Someone who's hurt you. And even for Jesus, you know, I guess Jesus wouldn't say, you know, you might not be feeling like it, you might not be feeling well, you might not feel like you've got the energy. Jesus says, I'll help you. Look to me, decide in your heart, forgive, show mercy. Well, the last, lastly, we see Jesus' mercy to someone crucified right next to him on the cross. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there, who hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, 
since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. One of the two criminals who was crucified um, either side of Jesus, he's just like everyone else, hurling insults at Jesus, just saying all the same sort of things. But the other one's different. And it's really interesting when you sort of look at what he says. He acknowledges that he's done wrong. He recognizes, he says, we deserve to be here. But he also acknowledges who Jesus is. He acknowledges that Jesus has done nothing wrong, but Jesus is a king with a kingdom. That that to speak against Jesus is, is not in line with fearing God. That Jesus is from God. He acknowledges Jesus. He's, he's really saying, I believe in you, Jesus. And then he says, you know, he asks him for mercy. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Maybe he's, maybe he's thinking about heaven. Maybe he's thinking about Jesus returning in power later. But Jesus shows him mercy. Jesus, amazing, really. Jesus, Jesus had a lot of other things on his mind at the time. The incredible pain, the spiritual pain of bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. I'm sure that we would have understood if Jesus were just sort of zoned out and not wanting to talk to anyone. And yet, he engages with this guy. He shows him mercy. He welcomes him into his kingdom. This criminal Someone who really did, who'd done some pretty bad things, who deserved to be there on the cross. He welcomes him into his kingdom. He promises, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's no one too bad for Jesus. And there's no one too late for Jesus either. I wouldn't advise leaving it this late to become a Christian. But there is a paradise waiting for us beyond death when we trust in Jesus. What a saviour. It's amazing to see just not just what he did for us, but the way that he did it. Full of love, full of mercy at every stage. We thank God for Jesus. Thank him for his willingness to die for us, his substitution, him swapping places with us. We're the guilty, we get to go free. And his mercy, his mercy to us, despite what we've done, even to the worst of us, He has mercy. He shows us grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. What a saviour. What a saviour. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing together. We're going to sing a song that celebrates the amazing saviour that we have. Just uh, perhaps the musicians can come come back up. But um, let me pray. Oh, Jesus. We just thank you. We might have overused the word amazing um, in this series, but maybe we haven't. Lord, because you are amazing and uh, we we don't recognize that enough. It is incredible what you've done for us, what you did all those years ago, but just brings massive benefits, life-changing benefits to us today that go on for all eternity. Thank you for your willingness to go through all of that terrible stuff for us. Thank you for being willing to just be seen as a horrible criminal 
and be despised by people. Yet nothing could be further from the truth. You went through all of that for us. Thank you for the pain you went through, the shame you went through. Thank you that you were happy to be seen as guilty for us to go free. And we just thank you for your mercy. And I just pray, Lord God, just help us appreciate more. Lord, if we don't know, really, don't know Jesus and what he's done for us, open our eyes to see that. And we just thank you. Thank you again, Lord. Amen.